This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. We are breaking down the 2016 Open Championship, going back, looking at how great it was, and talking through every aspect of it. This comes from Michael Crespo on Twitter for the suggestion. So thank you, Michael. If you want to hear about another event, go ahead and tweet us at First Cut Pod. Let's bring in the whole team, the whole First Cut crew. Mark Immelman is sharp and on top of his game this morning. Welcome, Mark. How are you? What up? Got my players championship hoodie on. You see me? I'm good to go. And I've been watching uh, this golf on YouTube is a thing. I, I had no idea, but I'm all into this now especially during the times in which we currently live. There is a lot of golf on YouTube. Thank you very much, YouTube, or anyone who has uh, illegally uploaded that. Kyle Porter, have you been uh, killing your bandwidth over there, checking out golf on YouTube? Yeah, Mark sounds like the 49-year-old that he is. It, it sounds like he he just discovered YouTube. Um, <laughs> welcome to the well, welcome to the I'd game, been Mark. Spelling it the whole time. I'd put like <laughs> you, the letter, and then tube. I could never find it. <laughs> No, it, I mean, in all seriousness, though, there's some stuff that I, I hope the powers that be don't know about on YouTube in terms of right. uh, like every shot from certain events. And uh, it's it's pretty great. You can get lost for a while on there. Well, at least he didn't call it the YouTube. So we're, we're doing good there. Um, and then finally, uh, Greg Ducharme. Uh, welcome, Greg. This is a good one. 2016 Open Championship. This is, uh, dare I say, iconic. It is iconic. It was really fun diving into this one. It's what you can watch. The cool thing about YouTube is you can watch every shot, right? Like we just talked about, but there's also the documentary. So you, I watched last night a Phil and Henrik little documentary on YouTube, and they're talking about what they're thinking during this shot. And it, it is so cool to get some of their insights. It's actually, it's really quite fun. It's quite entertaining. All right. So we're going to hop in the time machine. We are headed back to 2015, 2016 PGA Tour season. Let me set the stage for you. Now, Kyle, you like to give out trivia questions to Mark. So don't look this up. Take your eyes off your screen. Do you know who the Rookie of the Year was in the 2016 season? 2016 Rookie of the Year. Justin Thomas? No, no. It is the star to be Emiliano Grillo. Wow. I wouldn't have gotten that. First event on the PGA Tour, the Safeway Open. That's right. Uh, at the time, it was the Fries.com Open. Now he is. Uh, that was his his win there. He won the first event of the year. He ends up being the rookie of the year. Now here we go. We'll continue on this little little trivia question. Uh, let's see here. How about this one, Mark? PGA Tour Player of the Year. He swept almost every single award this year. Do you know who it was for 2016? McIlroy. It was not. Now DJ. that's it's oh. I heard a DJ. It is DJ, Greg. So the the key there is Rory wins the FedEx Cup, and Greg, DJ is your player of the year. 
he won three times that year. I mean, he, he was remarkable. Every he, he was the best player that year. It was unbelievable. So, yeah, uh, DJ, and he won his major. That was the year he won at Oakmont. He won the um, with the little rule situation. We didn't know what score it was coming right. down the stretch there. And the year before, he three-putted on 18 to lose to, I forget who it was in 2015 who won the U.S. Open. Maybe Kyle can remind me. But uh, it was an impressive year. Hey, while we're in that time machine, Greg, who was in the final group at Oakmont for that U.S. Open? Shane Lowry. Yes, and? Uh, Andrew well, Landry. Thank you. That's a, wow, good, that was a good one. Good teamwork. I never there. would have pulled Andrew Landry. I, had, I forgot about Landry. <laughs> uh, you could have given me a thousand guesses. I never would have got well, there. All intents and purposes, it was Lowry's event. The guy was cantering into the final round there and just went to heck all in the space of about an hour and a half to start the final round. That was that that was that weird um because it rains so much. The I can't by the way, we're doing a throwback on the 2016 open and now we're talking about the 2016 US Open. Nothing <laughs> changes around here. <laughs> it rained so much in the first round that year. And so you had that I think they finished the third round on Sunday morning. And it was like it was really weird because Lowry led, but like he didn't really sleep on it, but he kind of did. I don't know. It, the whole thing was like out of sorts. And then the best stat that there is, I think I've said this on here before, the only major that DJ's ever won is when he didn't know what his score was. So um, <laughs> that's yeah. that's kind of a, a summation of his career, I guess. That's true. So the major champions for this year, uh, Danny Willett uh where's the green jacket at the masters uh, shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> this, this needs to be a video was, production i think that was tough that was tough uh not He's a major but fetal. jason Carl's still in the fetal position there in his little studio because of the 2016 masters uh i think jason, that happened right there there you go greg's showing us uh where the death was um <laughs> Players, players championship went to Jason Day. DJ, as we mentioned, wins the U.S. Open. Uh, we won't reveal the spoiler, although it's four years late of who won the Open championship. And and Jimmy Walker g- gets the gets it done at the PGA Championship. So here we go. We are headed to Royal Troon. It's mid July. It's the Open Championship. Now, I was looking back at who was the favorite to win this event, uh, and it is actually someone, Kyle, that we have not really even talked about yet do you know who the favorite entering this event was the favorite at the 16 open was it was it rory rory was 10 to 1 he was actually not the favorite there are two other guys who were the favorites greg looks jason, like he has a, an idea jason day my guest would be jason day yeah jason day world number one jason day World number one, Jason Day was seven to one. Dustin Johnson was eight to one. And then Rory and Spieth were both 10 to one. So uh, very interesting that that's where where we're headed here. So, Mark, let's start with you. The 2016 Open Championship, it was really defined by the duel of Phil Mickelson and Henrik Stenson. Is there something in particular that stands out most to you about this event? Um Look, everyone talks about the duel in the sun, the Nicholas Watson thing down the coastline of Turnbury, but you said it right. You said we're going to jump in the time machine. Now, have any of you guys been to Trun, or the, as they call it, Trun? Have you been to Trun before? It oh, is my like, mind, I have. It is like stepping back in the time machine. <laughs> I mean, it's a little Scottish town on the coast, and that Royal Trun, it doesn't get the respect, in my opinion, um, Rick, that, that golf courses should, because you look at these courses on the open rotor, you've got the old course, you've got Turnberry, you've got Muirfield, 
You've got Hoyle Lake, which is now showing up again. Of course, Port, Port Rush back there drew all sorts of accolades. But Troon is a gem. It's a typical, it's, it's a real links place. And then it travels out. And it's got a few holes at the, at the loop. And then you travel back in 13 through 18. So there's an out and there's an in. And again, I'm making this all about the golf course, whereas the duel was sensational. Um, the that little eighth hole, the postage stamp, it's one of those holes that doesn't need, everyone knows who the postage stamp is. So I don't think, despite what happened between Henrik and between Phil, I think the golf course is just a sensational spot. So Phil, who is at this time, what, two or three years removed from his previous Open Championship victory, jumps out to a hot start, Greg. He fires a 63, eight under par in the first round. And if you went back and watched this on YouTube, he left a 62 on the lip uh, on 18, which would have made him the first man to ever shoot a 62 in a major championship. So this was Phil right out of the, the gate, laying it, laying it to everybody. So who was the first man? Brendan Grace. Thank you. Uh, it, it also in an open championship, by the yes. way, um, uh, which was great, uh, underappreciated round for sure. But um, but as for Phil, when he left this 63, he was heartbroken. And if you follow him around through, you know, from the 18th green into the scorer's tent, he's telling everybody, I, it was in the center, just uh, six inches out. It was right in the middle, and I, I thought it was in. I thought it was in three feet out. I thought it was in six inches out. Um, and, and it went back to the right, and I, and I missed it. I knew it would go right, but it was in the center. It had to... I couldn't believe it. So for a guy who just shot 63 and took, uh, I, man, I think it was a three-shot lead um, going into the, the second round, he was disappointed. He, he left that round heartbroken. It, it was a three-shot lead, Kyle. It was a three-shot lead over Martin Keimer and Patrick Reed. And then there was a bunch of Americans, you know, four shots back, including Zach Johnson, Tony Finau, Keegan Bradley was there. And then things got uh, a little bit more difficult on Friday in the second round. Uh, you know, it's I think it started to rain. Conditions got much more open championship-like. And it was Henrik Stenson who flies up the leaderboard shooting a 65 to finish one shot back. So now Phil is 10 under through two. Henrik is nine under through two. And this is really, Kyle, where it starts to be the show of just these two guys, would you say? Yeah, for sure. And and I was looking back, I've got like three pages of notes here, but one of the stats that stuck out to me was that either Mickelson or Stenson shot the best round of every round. So wow. Phil's 63 in the first round was the best, was the round of the day. Stenson's 65 in the second round was the round of the day. And then Stenson uh, in round three and four also shot the round of the day on those two days. So they were, I mean, it was pretty clear at least early in round three and, 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 and one and two set the stage for it, but it was pretty clear that it was just going to be about those two guys. And I've got some more stats about how it ended later on. Um, but it was just, it was crazy that either one of them shot the round of the day, every single day of the tournament. You know, to that Rick, um, something that always needs to be said well, not always, but a large majority of the time at Open Championships is that where you fall on what side of the draw, you late, early, early, late, whatever the case might be, can effectively knock you out of the tournament. And at this edition, the 2016 version, on the northeastern side of uh, the British Isles, where all the weather blows in and you can get some horrendous weather and wind and rain coming in sideways, and something that's different there to what it is in the United States, when you get so much rain and, and wind, 
typically play will be suspended over here, but because you play on the sand base over there, you just keep going. And, and the weather, the draw knocked out of half of the field effectively. So after two rounds, it was basically half of the field competing with obviously Stenson and, and Mickelson who, who had accelerated uh, ahead of the competition. Yeah, that's a great that's a great note. And I'm actually I was flipping through the old uh, official World Golf Rankings page here for Henrik Stenson, Greg. And, you know, before this event, he goes T24 at the Masters. He gets cut at the Wells Fargo, cut at the Players Championship. He withdraws from the U.S. Open. I don't remember being like, oh, this is a Stenson week. You know what I mean? Like, not that this was out of nowhere because it was 2016 Henrik Stenson, but like he wasn't in great form coming into this. Yeah, he he didn't play between the U.S. Open and the Open, at least on the PGA Tour. I believe he was dealing with a little injury, if I remember correctly. Just on, I think he had a, a wrist injury that he was dealing with. The thing about Henrik is he always seems like such a great pick for majors. Even to this day, if, if we were talking about a, a U.S. Open or an Open Championship right now, Henrik Stenson would likely be a very, very good pick. His game just suits these kind of tournaments so well. So uh, Henrik's always a guy you're looking for, but you're right. He wasn't in great form coming in, and it left a, a lot of handicappers, I guess, in question. Um, but if you talk to Henrik about it, if you ask Henrik about it, and maybe it took him two rounds to get into this mode, but Henrik had one mission in mind. And as he said, and I love this line, uh, there, was only, there was only one outcome that, that I was going to accept this week, and that was winning. So it was really cool to hear. There are so many great quotes and so many great records, and I know the the notes that we have for all the things that were broken uh, after this event, so I'm excited to talk about that, but let's look at round three, because I might have jumped the gun a little bit, Mark. This is really when these two elevated themselves, okay? So after the third round, uh, Stenson was 12 under par, Phil Mickelson was 11. They were five shots clear on the rest of the field already, and there's a great quote from Stenson, who was basically like, on the back nine on Saturday, this turned into match play. And it was just me versus Phil, and I was in a group with him, and it was match play. Yeah, you know, that's sometimes dangerous. Uh, but at Troon, you can do that sort of thing to, to sort of say, okay, this is reduced to two people because you never know. At, at any event, all of these guys are good enough to post something early. And if you get some wicked weather or just stuff starts going wrong, which it sometimes does, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting with a mouthful of teeth. But the way Troon plays, you know, with the out and the in and the wind coming off the sea, when you go out, you got the wind sort of off your right. So for the right hander, it's comfortable and you can get after the golf course some. But what, then when you turn back in and you got the wind into you off the left hand side from holes 13 through 18, it is comfortably the longest hour and 45 minutes or so of your life. You've got to hit the ball on the button. There is disaster waiting on either side of every single one of those targets coming in. So given... Stenson knowing how he was hitting the ball because he was prolific. He always is, but he had, he had stepped it up a notch that week. And the way Phil was playing, he was playing Phil sort of golf, but just scrambling and, and putting up numbers and such. I can see where Henrik could make that sort of a comment. And perhaps in a funny sort of a way that made his job easier, because as we all know, you know, playing with that moniker, that, that, that monkey on the back of being one of the best to not win a major, that's a big deal, especially when you're in contention on the weekend. The final round, Kyle, is really the one that gets 
all the replays, all the convo, all the chat, because it was it was unbelievable. Um, you know, Stenson goes out and shoots a an eight under sixty three. Phil shoots a six under sixty five. And I, I was remembering this. I remember thinking, Kyle, on, on the first hole, Mickelson makes birdie. He almost holes out from the fairway and bogey and, and Stenson makes a bogey. And it's a it's like a two shot swing right out of the gate. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Phil's going to do this again. Like this is this is looking like a Phil Mickelson open championship to me. Yeah, for sure. By the way, Stenson 63 with two bogeys, which is just unreal. It's a joke. I mean, it's it, it, it is unbelievable. Uh, two things that I had forgotten about that I remembered when I went back and watched one <clears throat> Phil touching the uh, the trophy case. Yeah, he, he went over and like kissed. he like kissed it and it was like, well, that's not going to go well. <laughs> um, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> And then uh, he might have done that in round three. I don't know if it was necessarily in round four. No, and I then two the was there on the on the weekend yeah, on Sunday. They 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 bring the claret jug out for the final round on the team. Two was the uh, the binder clip on his hat. Do you guys oh, remember yeah. that? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, that's in my notes here. That's yeah. typically. I ha- I had forgotten about it, and I went back and looked. I was like, why why did he do that? And he said it was just to uh, to keep his hat on because uh, it was so windy. He's like, I know it doesn't look good, but I just, I got to keep my lid on. And I was like, what, can't you do like, just get a smaller hat? Like, I, I don't, <laughs> is, is Callaway like shortage of hats there? I, I don't understand what's going on. But yeah, there were so many things. And you just, you, I, I was even like, I, I didn't remember the guys that were ahead of them teeing off as they're, as they're kind of going off in that final pairing. It was like, uh, the other pairings were, I think it was Bill Haas and Beef in the second to last. <laughs> You're like, what? And then it was, uh, it was JB Holmes and Steve Stricker, and then Tony Finau and uh, Soren Kelchin. And you're like, you couldn't, you couldn't draw names out of a hat and get more random pairings than that leading into to Stinson and Mickelson. You, you, you talk about Phil. How did he do that? One of, as I was watching it back. You know, I'm reliving all of this stuff. And, and the thing that I found on the YouTube was, uh, <laughs> was, was obviously the British, the BBC commentary. And you talk about Phil's start. He, he stiffs, stiffs it on one, which was sensational. But then on two, he's in a bother. You know, he's got a tight lie over a pot bunker to a tight flag over there. And Sam Torrance is in the booth alongside Doogie Donnelly. And Torrance has obviously got that thick Scottish brogue. And Phil's got the lob wedge laid wide open. I mean, impossible shot. And they've set it up going, you know, certain golfers would try and bump the ball between the two bunkers and, and take like five, six, seven, eight foot. And so Phil lays this thing open, nips the legs out from under it, hits the green, the green and dances around the hole. And Sam Torrance goes, I don't know how he does that. <laughs> it was one of the best calls ever. In fact, so good. I've made a note of it. So hopefully one day if we get golf again, I'm going to use that. I don't know how he did that. I love it. I love it. Greg, this, this to me, when you go back and look at these scorecards, they're, first of all, they're insane. And then you just look at like, okay, they're tied at 14 under after four. They're tied again on seven. They're tied again on nine. They're tied again on 12. Like this, this to me was like the only way to describe this to me is like a heavyweight bout. And it was just, you know, a haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. And who was going to survive 12 rounds basically. <laughs> In order to win this tournament, and and this is what Phil said, you had to make a, a birdie or an eagle to to catch up. So anytime, I think when I watched this back, I felt a lot more pressure on on Phil Mickelson. And maybe it's because we know the outcome. But if you watch the way the round went, 
it wasn't just that Henrik was making a ton of birdies. Phil was hitting high quality iron shots into a lot of these greens. I, I believe at the third was the first. Um, he hit it, he did it again at 10 and I believe he did it at eight as well. Henrik kicked quality shots in there, but Henrik was actually outside of Phil Mickelson. So when you think about these two players, the way you would probably predict a match like this going is Henrik hits it really close. Phil hits it outside of him and makes it. And Henrik uh, has a, a high pressure short putt, but it was the other way around. Phil was hitting it really close and Henrik was hitting quality shots in there, but Henrik made the putt first. And to his statement about match play, when he made that putt first, it, it put a lot of pressure on Phil. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why Henrik ended up outlasting Phil. Well, Rick, if I can, to that, uh, you, you visit coming into the final round here, and here's Stenson with a one-stroke lead over Phil, and they've distanced themselves from the peloton. They get there on one. Stenson has like a nervy bogey, the three putts from long range, and Phil stiffs one. And all of a sudden, the one-stroke lead is now a one-stroke deficit. But right. from and, and, and I can see how now you get to a place where you know you've got to force the issue a little bit if you Stenson, and maybe the mind's spinning because stuff starts going fast. But from there, Stenson makes six birdies in his next 10 holes. <laughs> I mean, that was absolutely sublime. And to turn that around, I can see why he sort of put the pressure on Phil. And, and Phil was playing well, but goodness gracious. I mean, that run of golf bar the, the, the string of birdies he made late. And that's six in 10 holes in the final round, in the final group on a difficult golf course, albeit with the wind at your back going out. That, Kyle, was, uh, that was off the charts, man. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to look at their scorecards because I, I think when I think back about this event, I, I don't really think about it being super close late. And we'll talk about late here, here in a little bit. I, I, I do want to talk about the last four holes, but you kind of look and they were, they were neck and neck down uh, like on the front nine, Phil Eagles, uh, four to make it 14 under 14 under, which by the way, if you're, if you're like Steve Stricker and you birdie four to get within 10 and you're in third place, you're like, what, what are we like? Why am I out here? What am I doing? It's like the, <laughs> it's the most low stress, like $500,000 of all time, because you're, you're not going to wear whatever fourth place was. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, the front nine was super interesting because it in retrospect, Stinson sort of cruised at the end, but it didn't it wasn't like that on the front nine and even through probably the first 12, 13, 14 holes. Yeah, so let's let's talk about those those last couple holes then, because that's really well, I mean before the we've before we get there, Rick, sorry to cut over you. Yeah. I we've got to talk about that loop, man, because holes nine, ten, eleven, and twelve, those things are just nasty i mean 11 could be one of the hardest par fours into the wind in the world uh, rory mcelroy was making a bit of run a bit of a run with his blue driver he raced to the turn in four under <laughs> you know he'd he'd got within at that stage um probably about 10 i think it was and then he gets there even mcelroy with as good as what he is with a driver it was next to impossible to hit that fairway because you got the the, the out of bounds and the train tracks down the right hand side you got gorse bush that is just uh, it, it's like dead on arrival in there and you're playing into this breeze off the left-hand side, which, for any right-hand golfer, and I'll let Greg comment on this, is is, is like kryptonite because it's going to expose anything. Whereas Phil, on the other hand, the lefty carving it into that thing, he's misses always the big left. But coming in with that wind off the left-hand side would help him, Greg. And Phil definitely commented on that too. He said, "I, I felt like." 
uh, coming into that loop, coming into that turn, I had an advantage because the wind was going to turn in my favor. The only problem is he's going up against Henrik Stenson, whose ball doesn't seem to get touched by the wind. Anybody else? Myself, that wind is brutal for me in my game. It's brutal for students. It's the kind of wind Ben Hogan said you don't practice in. So um, it's a great point, Mark. The wind definitely turned into Phil's favor. Mark was eleven the one where they had like the horse farm on the on the right hand side where Thomas Peters uh, hit the shot out of the gorse and like stuck it to eight feet and then snapped his forearm over his knee. I was waiting for you to hop on that. That's that's the only reason why I wanted to go to the stretch holes because that's one of the great sort of video gifts and memes I think of all time. There was Peter snapping that club in half. Yeah, he hits it till he hits it to like eight feet. I think it was like his ninth shot, but he hit it to he hit it to eight feet and then just snaps his foreiron over his knee. It was unbelievable. I love it. I love it. So they. The, the mention about the, the final stretch here, because these guys get to 14T all tied up. They're, they're both 16 under. And this is where, Greg, you know, uh, Stenson kind of just engages like nuclear mode. He, he goes, he birdies 14, <laughs> 15, 16. And then I feel like this is where, like, yeah, it was a lot closer than it felt because he goes nuts and birdies three in a row. And it feels still only, you know, two shots back heading into 17 or whatever. But this felt like when Stenson was he was going out to win it. You know, Phil wasn't going to lose it. Stenson, Stenson just said, this is mine. I'm going to be raising the Claire jug. Yeah. You, you consider what, what Henrik Stenson has done, right? The things we just talked about, he's made six birdies in 10 holes. Uh, and, and he's tied for the lead coming out with the guy he's playing with in the final group uh, after, after 11, they're tied. And it'd be very easy to say, okay, well, I, I just, I don't know what I can, what I have to do to beat this guy. I, and, and somebody you almost expected to throw in the towel, but Henrik turned his, his focus was so sharp. His, um, his mind was so intense in that round, which is probably the biggest thing that I gathered from watching this is how focused, how in the zone Henrik Stenson was. I know we call him the ice man. He always has that look, but the way that he responded with the putter was just so impressive. He hit shots like he always does, but he was able to make the putts. And the one on 15 from, I think it was 51 feet. That was, that was just ridiculous. And the other thing that I forgot about, and that's the one obviously on 15, everybody remembers the really long putt Henrik Stenson made, but on 16, and I'd forgotten about this, Phil hits the green in two and he has 25 feet for Eagle. And it's, Looking like it's going to be a tournament again because Henrik's in the in the fescue on the left hand side, and that little shot he hit out of the fescue to five feet or so was unbelievable. And that was the moment to me where the tournament was really sealed. Mm-hmm. And then to that, you fast forward one hole, um, that seventeenth, two hundred and twenty yards, perched up green. If you miss it anywhere down the left hand side, it kicks away from the green as most do. There's horrid putt bunkers on either side. And then you got a wind into off the left hand side. Um, and Stenson gets up there with a four iron and hits this thing to about six feet. Uh, for me, I think one of the great iron strikes, it, it rivals the three iron off the side hill that Nick Feldo hit when he was in a duel against Greg Norman at the Masters. It, it, it was that quality, a long iron strike under pressure when it meant something and to get up there and just flush one. I mean, that thing cut a hole in the wind and then that almost forced Phil's hand and he missed the green. So that was effectively that. Uh, Stenson said that four iron on 17 T was the best shot he's hit in his entire life. You know what? mm. (laughs) I'm going to say it might be one of the best shots I've seen in my entire existence. Not that that means anything because I've seen a bunch, 
but 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 to to just the moment of it all with with everything on the line because you know your mind's spinning at that stage to get up there and deliver that's why one practices yeah Absolutely. Okay, we are going to, you know what today is? You know what we would be, uh, the one thing that kind of goes into my head coming back out of our time machine is is kind of March Madness right now, boys. So I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, CBS is actually going to rerun some of these great national title games. And, and you and I, Greg, were kind of going back and forth on this uh, before we went on air. That 2010 Butler-Duke game, speaking of time machines, where Gordon, Hay- that was the Gordon Hayward game, right? That, yeah, it was Gordon Hayward. He had, uh, and I, I can't remember off the, it might have been, was it Kyrie Irving for Duke? Was that the Kyrie Irving year? Maybe. Um, I, I don't remember exactly who was on Duke, but I know that um, he gets the ball, Gordon Hayward gets the ball and chucks a, a half-court shot that you almost can't believe misses. If you watch it again, you can't believe it misses. It's one of the most exciting games uh, that I ever remember watching. Yeah, and it was like 39-38 or something like that. It was like an absolute defensive battle. Uh, Well, it's that game. It's the Christian Leitner game. It's Michael Jordan. It is all of the great, uh, you know, national championship games or regional finals games over the course of, I don't know, the last handful of years. So it's 12 to six on Saturday and Sunday. We will get to recapture some of that great college basketball history in the same way that we are capturing some of this great golfing history today. So make sure to tune in on that. It's CBS, cbssports.com and the CBS Sports app. All right, gentlemen, we are going to wrap up the Open Championship, the final hole. There is still a lot of drama left right after these words. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. And we're back. Okay, so we talked about the flush four iron mark that, uh, you know, uh, Stenson hits to six feet. He actually missed the putt. He makes par on 17. And then to me, the shot on 18, the drive on 18 that he takes out the, you know, the famous three wood. Excalibur. Yeah. And he pounds one. The quote that he said is like, even if I leak this a little bit right, there's no way I can get to that fairway bar. And he's all jacked up, adrenaline's running, and this ball stops, what, a, a foot? I mean, a, an inch away from rolling in, but like a foot outside that fairway bunker, which would have made things quite interesting for his second shot. Yeah, you know what? There's no doubt in my mind that 
you know, to win, you've got to have things go your way and you've got to make a lot of putts and you've got to get a few breaks. But there's no doubt that winning at any level, I don't care who you are, even if you're Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus or Bob Jones or one of these sorts of guys, that, that, that fortune favors you. And, and, and I don't know if it's fate, but something aligns. And, and I think to Greg Norman, you know, when he's there in contention at the Open, goes with driver to a bunker that was out of reach, I believe it was back at Carnoustie, and drives it into the bunker, and effectively that's him not winning the Open. Because those bunkers, as we all know, at, 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 in Lynx Golf are basically a one-stroke penalty. They like a penalty area if you drive it in there. And so for that thing to stop just short after he completely mashed it, there, there was, I, I think the, 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 the golfing gods were aligning to give Stenson his. And just for good measure, he goes out and makes birdie on 18. He finishes at 20 under par, which is three shots clear of Phil Mickelson. It is 14 shots clear of J.B. Holmes in third place. And J.B. won the B-flat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, unbelievable. Kyle, there are so many good records. There are so many good um, I don't know, tidbits about this, but one of my favorite, and I feel like you might like this too, is how full circle this is. So in 2013, Phil Mickelson beats Henrik Stenson by three shots at the Open Championship. Stenson returns the favor here in 2016. Yeah, so I got a couple of numbers here. I went, I went back and looked this up because I, I thought I remember either writing it or, or, or you know, kind of reading it at the time. And so the, the number is this. Based on strokes gain, here we go, Mark. Here's your strokes gain stuff. <laughs> Bring it. Phil would have won, and so this goes back to 1983 when, when we started keeping this stuff more, more closely. Phil would have won 132 of 135 major championships. Wow. He only would have lost this one and then the obvious other two, the 97 Masters and the 2000 U.S. Open. Those are the only three majors that he would have lost, and... Uh, unfortunately <laughs> he was, he was playing in one of them. The, uh, Mark Brody did this, the combined, their, their combined strokes gain 56 strokes between the two of them, which it sounds fake. Like it sounds like I'm making that number up. I'm not was by far the most, uh, since, um, 1983 there, there's no, there was nobody else. I, I've got it pulled up here. The only other ones. So behind those two at the 16 open, it was like, uh, oh, come on. It was, hold on. It's still loading. I'll get it for you here in a second. Well, so we while, got... while you do that, check out these numbers. Um, Stenson 20 under at the open beat the record held from 2000, you know, the year by Tiger Woods, which was 19 at St. Andrews. And as we all know, St. Andrews is a lot easier a challenge than what Troon is. So that just puts this thing into perspective. I mean, it was, it was one of those weeks, one of those things that, uh, uh, and, and and a quick anecdote. Uh, it, it sort of, it, it was, you know, one of those you put on Mount Olympus, if you will, for golf. The, the, how powerful it was because golf affects people, in my opinion. I had been to the event. I came home. We were watching the final round on television. My littlest at that time in 2016 is six, I think it is. Uh, maybe five. We are so into this because NBC are showing basically shot for shot between the two. My littlest runs to her room, grabs her plastic putter in a ball and starts putting up and down the passage, which shows you just how mammoth this was and how gripping the, the this round of golf that these two guys put together was. It was unbelievable. 
So the strokes gain, I got it. Thank, thanks for that interlude there, Mark, so I could look up my number. Uh, it was 54, not 56. So 54 combined strokes gain between the top two guys. Next best number is 45. So nine fewer strokes gain. That was Larry Nelson and Tom Watson at the 2000, or excuse me, the not 2000, the 1983 uh, U.S. Open. So this is these are all numbers since 83. The third best was Retief and Phil Mickelson at the 04 U.S. Open. And then you go Fuzzy Zeller, Greg Norman at the 84 U.S. Open, Davis Love, Justin Leonard at the 97 PGA Championship, and then six, these are, again, most strokes gained by the top two guys in a tournament was Tiger and Rich Beam at the 2002 PGA Championship. Yeah, those are numbers that if if they would have popped up in my database, I would have been like, I have a calculation wrong here somewhere. Like, there's no (laughs) way. There's no way. Uh, Greg, this, you know, just to kind of put a, a, a pin in what Phil Mickelson did. So he, he shot a 267, which equaled the previous open record set by Greg Norman in 1993. Obviously not good enough when Henrik Stenson is out there. This is very Phil-esque, right? If anybody's going to finish second in a like Hall of Fame, iconic, historical fashion, I guess it should be Phil. Yeah, um, and you could almost do a podcast as somebody yeah. suggested a podcast on Phil's runner up finishes and majors. <laughs> this one to me, I, I'd be really interested to see uh, what Mark thinks about this. But when I think of Phil Mickelson coming in runner up, I think about him hitting a rock in a bunker greenside. And it's like a dramatic loss of the tournament at Wingfoot. Uh, the I'm such an idiot quote, hitting it way left <laughs> into the off the off the hospitality tent and then trying to hit a three iron through a hole in the trees that just doesn't exist. That For me, when I think of Phil Mickelson um, co- coming in second place in majors, I don't think of this. I think of him losing. He he yeah. gambles and it doesn't pay off. And this is the case where Phil plays bogey free. He plays the, the final round bogey free. He makes four birdies and an eagle. Uh, in the final group on Sunday and loses by three it, it well by two in the final round but by three overall it it's almost as as Phil-esque as it is to me it's almost not Phil-esque and I wonder what what you guys all think is this Phil's most heartbreaking loss or because he played so well do you think he can kind of uh, write this one off well, I don't know. You'd have to ask Phil and he's always good for a quote we know that I, I would say in terms of heartbreaking losses um, that one at Pinehurst when Payne Stewart makes that putt on the last, I mean, that wasn't heartbreaking because it was so meaningful and, and it'll go down in history as one of the great results ever. But, but I would say maybe that one at Wingfoot, given that Phil is missing the, the, the U S open to, to complete that career grand slam. I don't know. We'd have to ask him, but as I, as I sort of pontificated, but I, I'd say maybe it, it was a U.S. open because as a player, you can't fault yourself if you've done everything right. It's like the best lesson I ever learned as a player and then a young teacher was from a highly decorated um, golf instructor. Um, and and I was talking to him about players and just working with top flight players. And he said to me, the one thing you have to bear in mind is that all you can help them control is what they're able to do. And then he pitched me a question. He said, let's say you're an Olympic runner and you're training for four years and you show up in the 100 meter sprints and you run your personal best. Was that successful? And I'll say, yes. And I said, yes. And he said, well, what if you were beaten by one one hundredth of a second and you got the silver? Were you successful? And, and that has stuck with me for as long as I live. And and I think Phil can look back on True in 16 and go, geez, I did everything that I could do on the day and I was just outplayed. 
I thought uh, the one we haven't talked about, 2013 U.S. Open at Marion. I mean, that was he's leading after yeah he's leading after three rounds, uh, 74 on Sunday. I know that there has been talk. I don't know if I should bring this up, but I'm going to anyway about him getting the wrong club on whatever par three that was. I think it was 13 on the back nine, and just flying the green there to make bogey and then kind of kind of falling apart down the stretch. I think I think he knew that was his last chance at a US Open. I think I think Marion is the biggest heartbreak. Greg, I was that's a good shot though. I was uh I was thinking about this because I was thinking what you know what did we miss? What didn't I remember? You know, it's been four four years, which might as well be 40 years. Um and I didn't remember Greg like how I felt after the first hole. The fact that Phil almost stuffed one from the fairway and Stenson makes boogie like that. I was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is going to be like, I, I didn't remember that. And maybe it was cause it was the flurry, um, at, at the end and the four iron on 17 and the, the ball that almost goes into the bunker on 18. But like what, what it, did, was there anything you don't remember about this or what did you forget? Oh, the thing I mentioned earlier on 16, the shot that Henrik Stenson hit out of the, uh, out of the fescue, it was a uh, short shot there. He was basically greenside. Phil was in there, you know, 20 feet for Eagle. He nearly made it. And that would have brought it right back to even if, if Phil had made Eagle there and Henrik didn't get up and down, but Henrik did get up and down and uh, Henrik Stenson did the things in this tournament. And this is what I kind of forgot about. I mean, you know, he shot 63. It was amazing. You know that he's going to make some putts. I think of the putt he made on, uh, on, on 16, I'm sorry, on 15, the 51 footer all the way across the green. That was kind of the defining moment we all remember, but there were putts like the putt on 10 that he made uh, there are much that that closer mid range where Henrik Stenson throughout his career, he typically doesn't make those kind of putts and, and he was able to do it and he just continued. He was relentless. And I didn't remember how much pressure he put on Phil Mickelson with his, with the putter. It was not as much the iron play of Henrik Stenson in this uh, in this final round as it was the putter that really um, did it for him. And that surprised me. And it was it was nice to go back and watch. And, and it was definitely something you wouldn't expect if you knew there was a duel between these two players. That is interesting. Um, Mark, what was your what was your favorite part about this rewatch for you? Um, well, again, personal, just just how it it it, it, it lit a fire in one of my daughters just because of how incredible this golf was. And she obviously saw her mother and her father just absolutely glued to the television screen at two of the game's great golfers performing at the highest of their powers, because that's what we do. That's when we watch Wimbledon or when we watch any sort of thing to see the best doing their best. I mean, it is a feat of human nature and, and I'm fortunate to, to, to see these guys in front and center week in and week out and, and to see them at their very best and have someone win it to me was cool because oftentimes in these big events um, to, to, to Carl's point and to what Greg was talking about, you know, sometimes someone slips up and and someone else then overtakes. So that was number one. But 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 for me, there were various things. I mean, I've got to say that Darren Clark has got the best hair in golf. I think, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Getting to see him there with a, the gray locks flowing in the wind there, you know, open champion himself, having some fun there with a good final round was awesome. Uh, but 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 a big deal was Matthew Southgate. I mean, he has a guy who battled testicular cancer early in his career. Coming back, almost the first golf back since beating cancer 
and, and pump, fist pumping his way down the final nine holes there at Troon. That was cool. I mean, to, 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 because they, everyone has a story. And oftentimes we don't know people's stories. And if you're close to it, you get aware of this sort of stuff. So, so, so when I watched it a second time to, to sort of relive, again, to everyone's story. So Southgate finishing 12th. That was a massive victory. I mean, that was almost as big for Southgate, given what he had gone through, as Stenson finally getting his major. So, so I loved seeing that. I love it. I love it. Uh, Kyle, I'll let you put a bow on the 2016 Open Championship, but I'll leave you, you know, you are the king of the tidbits. How about this little tidbit? Henrik Stenson was the first non-American to win at Troon in seven tries. So the previous six winners at Troon were all Americans. Arnold Palmer, Tom Weisskopf, Tom Watson, Mark Kalkovecchia, Justin Leonard, Todd Hamilton, and then Henrik Stenson breaks that streak. Put a bow on the 2016 Open Championship for us. How does Justin Leonard only have one major, by the way? Say that about a lot of guys. Well, that and that and that's sort of that, that's coming down the last nine holes. When he won, he made everything he stood over that year. Yeah, he's he was awesome, and and that's sort of that's kind of where I want to end things because I, I I think this is, I think this major is sort of emblematic of this era of like the really good one major guys. I mean, I was just, we talked about, I think we talked about this last podcast, but I was just going down the list as we were on here and it's, it's DJ, it's Adam Scott, it's, um, it's Stinson, it's, uh, Jason day, it's Justin Thomas. I mean, these are historically great Justin Rose. These are historically great players who only have one major championship. And I think it shines a light on having, not to bring Jordan Spieth into this, but, uh, on having, <laughs> but you will. On, <laughs> but it's bear with than me. I thought. <laughs> on having three, or Rory having four, or Kepka having four, and I, it, it just felt like almost in the same way that it was kind of like last year's Open was just it was Shane Lowry's week, like he just owned the week. This is sort of what it felt like for Stinson, and even though Stinson's a better player historically than Lowry, that's probably going to be Stinson's only major championship that he ever wins, and I thought. The way it happened, it, there's just not a cooler way for it to happen, to birdie the last and the way that he celebrated at the end there. <laughs> and then them walking off together, hugging. It was just, it was everything that you want a golf tournament tournament to be, a major championship to be, and an open championship to be. And uh, yeah, it's one of my favorites that I've ever gotten to cover. Good stuff, Kyle. Ordinarily, guys, I'm the guy that questions, uh, topics get lobbed at. So I'm going to turn the microphone now. And say to each of you lot, let's say in, in a romantic world, you've won the claret jug. What is the first beverage, whatever, that you put inside and pour out of that jug? That's a good one. Uh, I'll start. I mean, assuming I'm somewhere, I mean, I think I would drink a Guinness out of it. I feel like that is like, uh, <laughs> let me let me just drink a Guinness out of this. It'll it'll drip real slow like molasses out of the claret jug. Uh, that'll go down real nice. <laughs> I think that's a really good take, especially if it was last year. If you wanted it at Royal Port Rush, yeah. uh, that would definitely be a good one. I think I'm going with something local. I'm sure there's something during the week there, and I've never been over there to play yet. Uh, yet is the emphasis there, but I'm sure there's some boys cut boys there. trip coming up. That would there you be go. fantastic. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm in, but I'm, I'm either Guinness or, or, uh, something local. I'm going, uh, by the way, if Kutra would have won in 2017, I think he would have eaten grape nuts out of it, uh, <laughs> as the first thing, as the first thing that he ate. 
that was a that was a that was a joke I threw out on Twitter like three years ago. Um, I would go I would go red wine like Phil Phil style, yeah. not a forty thousand dollar bottle of red wine, but I would go some some nice bottle, a couple maybe a couple of bottles with my friends and wife of red wine, just drink it out of the car jug. I think that'd be amazing. Perfect. I love it. I love it. All right, gentlemen, that'll do it. For this episode of The First Cut, we'll do this again. So if you have an event you'd like to hear us break down, tweet it at First Cut Pod. That'll get you in the running. We'll pick a, a pick a tournament each and every week. I want to thank uh, Kyle Porter at Kyle Porter CBS. I'd like to thank Mark Immelman at Mark underscore Immelman. Who, you, want, you got something for us, Mark? No, I was just giving you the thumbs up. But... Oh, he's just giving me the thumbs up. I thought you wanted to say something. And Greg Ducharme now also giving me the thumbs up at the real, at the real GFD. It's thumbs up all it's around. Fulfill. It's thumbs fulfilled. <laughs> we will Bill get you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.